It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, the sports editor of the Providence Journal. I'm with Bill Koch, our Red Sox writer. We're in downtown Providence. Bill, we're uh, we're a little late to the party this week. Uh, I had some scheduling issues last week, but in a way it kind of worked out because uh, we have a lot more to talk about as we sit here on a Tuesday morning. Uh, Red Sox uh, and uh, all the teams obviously are past the trade deadline. Uh, so the roster looks a little different. Um, so why don't we start there? Uh, obviously, lots of stuff happening last week as well. But let's start with the uh, with the recent uh, transactions up in Boston. Uh, most recently, the trading away of Kevin Pillar and Joss Osich. Uh, a couple of days ago, Mitch Moreland was dealt to San Diego. And then last week, it was Brandon Workman and Heath Hembree. So, Bill, what what do we make of all these uh, of all these moves? Well, I, I think the primary takeaway, Bill, and uh, you know, first off, great to be back with you. Ideally, you know, this would have been a, a happier podcast where the Red Sox were buyers at the trade deadline. Sure. Uh, I think the primary takeaway from all this is that the Red Sox were sellers going into this deadline and, and knew it well in advance. Uh, and it's a very unfamiliar position for for Red Sox fans in recent seasons. Uh, if you think about 2016, they bought. 2017 they bought, 2018 they bought, three mm-hmm. postseason teams. Uh, 2019 they were told to pretty much stand pat. Uh, you know, you can excuse the the acquisition of Andrew Kashner. I don't necessarily consider that earth shattering in, mm-hmm. in any respect. Um, but they were told to stand pat due to their financial situation and the fact that John Henry wasn't going to throw any more good money after bad. Uh, you know, but this year there there is a you know, a clear course of action for this team that we haven't seen in, in a few seasons now, and that was to sell, uh, to give away veteran pieces for you know, players and, and uh, you know, international bonus pool money that they hope can be part of the future. And, um, you know, Bill, I know as a fan, as someone who's been a fan of the team for a long time, th- this had to be an unfamiliar feeling for you. It, it, it was, obviously, um, you know, uh, as we've spoken about in the past, I I always think the Red Sox should be contenders. They should always be in contention. They're a big market team. Uh, you know, I'm not somebody who I who thinks that they really should have these bridge years or rebuilding years. That they should have the ability to uh, uh, put a competitive team on the field and keep uh, top prospects in the farm system. But you know, sometimes that doesn't work out. And, uh, and you know, I was thinking about it uh, today, Bill. I suppose. Of all the years where they have to be builders or they opt to be builders, uh, I'm sorry, they opt to be uh, sellers, uh, this would not be the worst year. Uh, you know, it's a short season, so uh, after the trade deadline, you, you've only got a month to play. Uh, you don't have to worry about losing fans in attendance because there are no fans in attendance. Right. Uh, obviously, their TV ratings are probably going to take a hit, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say their TV ratings probably aren't that great this year anyway when it became evident that this team isn't really going to contend for anything. Yeah, if you're losing, you're not going to do great on Nesson anyway. That's right. Right, right. So all in all, I suppose if you had to pick a year and say, well, this is the year we're going to really stink and we're going to sort of try and uh, deal away some uh, valuable 
uh, pieces in hopes of, of building up our farm system and, and getting some prospects. I suppose this would not be the worst year to do it, but you're right. Uh, if you're a fan, it's an unfamiliar and kind of an uncomfortable position to be in because you know, the Red Sox have been good and competitive for so long now, really the better part of 20 years, uh, that when you have this kind of a season, uh, you, you know, it sort of it, it sort of um, deflates you, I guess, a little bit. Uh, but so, Bill, let's let's dig in a little bit here on the on the players that they are getting back in these deals. Uh, you know, obviously, um, they they made these moves for a reason. Uh, chief among them, obviously, is to try and stay under the competitive balance tax, which they uh, appeared like they certainly will. Uh, so why don't we start with the most recent and go backwards? Uh, most recent being the dealing away of Kevin Pillar, Josh, uh, Josh Osich, for players to be named later. Uh, so, Bill, the Red Sox know who these guys are, right? Who they these do. players are? They're just not going to announce them. So, tell me what what what's the uh, what's the thinking behind that? What's the purpose of that? Well, certainly Pilar going to the Rockies and and Osich going to the Cubs. Um, you know, the Rockies add a, a veteran outfielder who can hit left-handed pitching. They're they're a team that's currently close or or in National League playoff position for one of the two wild card spots, and and obviously we're looking for some depth. Uh, in that spot, mm-hmm. uh, Osich, you know, profiles as a, a left-handed reliever who can get lefties out. Uh, one walk and nine strikeouts against lefties this year. They're six for twenty-six against him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Cubs now have, I think, three left-handed relievers in their bullpen, so they'll have an ability to mix and match a, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally, Bill, what selling teams do, and, and you'll see this, is they'll take guys who are going to pr- be free agents the following year. Uh, who aren't necessarily part of the long-term plans, and they'll move them for somebody in the future. Yep. Uh, in this particular season, um, when you're trading for players to be named later, there there is one significant caveat to that, that that I think makes it more attractive. The players to be named have to be part of these 60-man player pools in other organizations. and So if, they can't be so far down on your depth chart that they're not even part of the 60-man roster, so if 60-man you're, pool. So if you're, if you're going to take the Red Sox player pool and, and the guys at the alternate site as a guide, let's mm. say, mm-hmm. um, what Boston has there are, are high-level prospects, which you're not getting one of those in return right. for, from the Cubs and the Rockies. You've got lower-level prospects, which... You know, could be one of those guys. And you've got other guys who have played at the higher levels of the minor leagues, whether it's in double A AA or triple A. You know, someone like a Josh Ockamy type guy who, who's been at Pawtucket for a good period of time and, and, you know, is a veteran at the higher levels could add to your depth a little bit. Right. Um, so that's the profile of guy that you're going to be receiving in return. Uh, you know, in Pilar's case, someone who you probably weren't going to move forward with. And, and in Osich's case, you know, somebody who was a waiver claim last offseason who, who you've turned into, um, you know, potentially a, a low-level prospect going forward. So, you know, when, when you're 10 games under 500 and you're obviously not going to October and, and other teams see value in those guys, that's what sellers do. You move them on. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, if we go back to over the weekend, uh, they dealt away Mitch Moreland to the San Diego Padres. Uh, they got a couple of prospects, uh, Potts and a Rosario. Uh, let, let's first of all touch upon Mitch Moreland. You know, um, 
Mitch really was one of the more productive players on this team when he was healthy. Uh, and obviously he wasn't part of the long-term plans for uh, for Boston, but I always liked him. I always thought that he came to the ballpark ready to play. I think that uh, his uh, he, he seemed to fit in well with with the with the uh, with the team. Uh, and obviously he was uh, uh, one of the one of the reasons why they why they uh, were so successful in 2018 in particular. Great pro, high character guy, uh, and a pretty darn good player on yeah. top of it, which is nice. Uh, you know they don't win the 2018 World Series without him. Um, had one of the biggest swings in those five games, a three run homer that That's helped right. turn game four. Uh, off Ryan Madsen, who thought it was too cold to pitch in Boston and couldn't get anyone out in Los Angeles either. So, you know, sorry, Ryan, but right. uh, it was a tough few nights for you, bud. Um, you know, Moreland, uh, a good veteran, uh, a guy who could really hit right-handed pitching. Right. Um, you know, someone who at 34, who knows how many years he has left, uh, you know, was very attractive to just about anyone considering his contract situation. Uh, a one-year deal for $3 million, mm-hmm. uh, with an option year next year for only $3 million. So great value for, for a guy who you can platoon, play 80, 90 games a year, uh, try to look after his health, uh, because he is someone who does have a tendency to get a little banged up and, and tries to play through it and, and ends up getting a little worse and his performance suffers because of that. You, right. you almost need to save him from himself yeah. in, in a way. He, yep. he is a grinder. Yeah. I know some people like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, definitely someone who, who has value to a contender. And, and the Padres you know, were the most active team at the deadline. There's no question. The Padres are clearly going for it. Sure. Um, you know, swung a couple blockbusters, one with the Mariners uh, and one with Cleveland. They, they mm-hmm. got the biggest name that moved uh, ahead of the trade deadline, and that was Mike Clevenger, a right-handed pitcher who yeah. is going to slot in either at or near the top of San Diego's rotation. Uh, you know, so San Diego clearly going for it with, with a host of young talent to deal away. Uh, they sent three of their top 11 prospects to Cleveland in the Clevenger deal, a, a nine-player deal. Um, so it was pretty obvious that you know when San Diego traded for Moreland, that there was going to be more coming from them. Uh, you know, And the Red Sox got two guys who, who were pretty well regarded. Uh, Hudson Potts was a first-round pick in the 2016 draft. Profiles as an infielder, most likely as a third baseman. Um, you know, big kid, 6'3", has power. Uh, you know, the other guy they got in that trade was an outfielder named Jason Rosario. Uh, great speed, um, good strike zone discipline, walked 87 times at, at Class A last season. Uh, someone who was an international signing in 2016 for $1.85 million. Right. Uh, his bonus, pretty considerable when you look at international signings. Uh, a top 10 international prospect, according to Jesse Sanchez from MLB.com, in that class in 2016. So, you know, this is, again, uh, another tip trade that a seller would make. You, you take a veteran who has value to a contender and you try to flip him forward for guys who you hope will be part of your future. You know, you don't want to dismiss these things because, you know, I, I don't know these prospects from holes in the wall and I don't think most fans do. But certainly one of the one of the knocks that we've had with the Red Sox in, the, in recent years is their farm system has been kind of depleted. So hopefully this is a step in that direction that they will have some uh, some legit talent that may be ready in in a, in a couple of years. You know the other thing with moving somebody like uh, Moreland is you kind of you kind of open up some some space for uh, prospects that you have in your system currently. 
um, you know, uh, and I think the Red Sox have a couple of players that you're kind of thinking about uh, as future first baseman. Well, on Sunday, obviously brought one of them to the big leagues, yeah. and that was Bobby Dahlbeck. Uh, you know, and and that's a guy who you know Boston who had a good he had a good first game, had a good first game, <laughs> had a, a not as good second game, yeah. uh, taking the golden sombrero Monday night. <laughs> Uh, that's that's how the other half lives, right. as they say. Uh, you know, but Dahlbeck is a guy who they've had their eye on for a long time. Uh, you know, somebody who. Uh, moved quickly through the system thanks to his power. Uh, had a two-season stretch in 2018 and 2019 where he hit 59 home runs combined. Um, you know, finished 2019 at AAA. Uh, Boston let him hang around in September, not on the roster, but working out with the team. And mm-hmm. you could see that they wanted to assimilate him with the group a little bit. Yep. Um, you know, he's he's a little bit of an older guy, 24-25. Uh, you yep. know, so yep. getting close to sort of aging out of that prospect status sure. and, and maybe somebody who you need to move. Um, you know, power is his big tool, obviously. Something you can't teach. He's a big body, athletic kid. Um, was a two-way player at Arizona. He pitched as well. Uh, you know, someone who has a definite asset that he can bring to your lineup. Now, mm-hmm. he's got big holes in his game. The strikeouts are, are chief among them. Yeah. Um, he's going to do that a lot. He, he's going to strike out. It, it's something that he did uh, in the lower levels of the Red Sox minor league system. It's something that he's going to do in the big leagues. And you know, it's just something that uh, you know, if, if you want to watch him and get behind him, you're going to have to be prepared to live with. Sure. Uh, you know, but what you hope is that he's able to run into enough balls and draw enough walks uh, you know, and maybe play well enough at first base, maybe a little bit at third base, uh, maybe a little bit as a designated hitter, where where he can justify his existence yeah. uh, on a big league roster. Yeah, uh, and hopefully he's not the uh, the next coming Chris Davis. Although you know, Chris Davis can hit the ball a long way. <laughs> Chris Davis got a lot of money at one point yeah. in his career. Absolutely, a Absolutely. lot of money. Uh, and so then, if we go back to last week uh, when the trading started, so to speak, uh, the Red Sox dealt away Brandon Workman and Heath Hembree to uh, key bullpen pieces. Obviously, that was the first sign that they were clearly sellers and they weren't looking to do anything this year. Not really. <laughs> With their record right now at 12 and 23, obviously, they can't really do anything. But, mm. uh, you know, Brandon Workman is someone who uh, had a very good year for them as uh, out of the bullpen uh, a season ago. And Heath Embry has been uh, a, a consistent uh, quality uh, late innings guy for them, too. And uh, they got a couple of uh, uh, players for him, Nick Pavetta, who was down at the uh, alternate site, and Connor Siebold. Uh, Bill, what can you tell us about uh, those two guys? Well, Pavetta is a guy who has significant big league experience, 92 appearances, 71 starts, uh, 27-year-old right-hander, a guy who was a top 10 prospect for the Nationals, um, who was traded, actually, for Jonathan Papelbon to oh, the wow. Phillies. Uh, uh-huh. you know, the Nationals were, were in the market for a closer, and yeah. the Phillies were looking to move on from Papelbon, who was in his mid-30s at the time, I, yeah. I think. Um, and so they moved for Pavetta. Um, you know, had him starting initially. Uh, started to shuttle him back and forth to the bullpen a little bit, and that's sort of the kiss of death, really, when you're a pitcher and, and you want to be a starting pitcher. Right. Um, you know, when you start to get moved and, and your role starts to change a little bit, that that's that's maybe a reason that you would lose some confidence. Um, you know, there's certainly some ineffectiveness involved there. Uh, Pavetta has a 550 ERA in the big leagues. Uh, 
you know, has shown flashes of, of being a good pitcher. Um, you know, has great size at six foot five. He's got a mid nineties fastball, a good breaking ball, but it takes more than stuff to be right. good at, at that level um, and to retire hitters at, at that level. So, you know, I think the Red Sox uh, will stash him at the alternate site. They'll manipulate his service time uh, to the point where they can get an extra year of control on him. Uh, his current path would have him being a free agent in 2025. So somebody who they have a chance to develop, uh, maybe sort of reshape into what he was supposed to be, which is a, a mid-rotation starting pitcher. Uh, you know, And that's obviously something Boston desperately needs. Uh, Connor Siebold, a little bit more of a prospect. Um, you know, guy who, another right-hander, um, strike thrower, mm-hmm. uh, someone who scouts would say has a good feel for pitching. And, and what that means is that he has good command. Right. Um, you know, fastball change-up guy. Um, you know, pitched in double-A uh, last year, reached double-A last year. He had an oblique injury, which, which limited to about, I think he had 56 in the third innings in, in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a 224 ERA in that time. So, you know, obviously can get hitters out. It, it's just a matter of, you know, the higher he rises in the minor leagues and, and eventually they hope into the big leagues, um, is he going to be able to fool hitters that long? Right. You, know, you, you can only fool these guys so much. If, if your stuff is exceptional, uh, you're able to do that. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you you need to overwhelm them with things that are nasty. Uh, you know, as we've seen uh, with past successful Red Sox pitchers, they they've all seemed to have signature elite traits. Mm. Um, you know, and I'm not I'm not going to compare Connor Siebold to to some of the great guys who we've seen in Boston. But you know, you you need to have one elite skill or two elite skills to, to succeed in the big leagues. And, you know, it's been good enough for him at, at Class A and at Double A. Um, you know, but yeah. it's... The hitters we're, get a lot better. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just going to have to see as he moves yeah. up the chain. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Pavetta is somebody who they are probably looking at as uh, as a rota- piece of the rotation moving forward. Uh, but as you as you explained, it's probably not worth them uh, activating him right now because they don't want to lose another year of service time for him. So, well, and what's the point? Because you're not really going right. anywhere. Yeah, you, yeah. you don't need him to sure. help you right now. Sure. I mean, even if you go on, <laughs> even if you win every game that you play from now at the end of September, you're probably in third place. I mean, so. you you need an 11 game winning streak to get back to 500. That's right. Yeah. That's I mean, right. that's that's just not going to happen. God, I know. It's just. It's so sad when you look at the when you look at the standings and you geez, and you look at it and say, "Geez, you know they've been playing baseball now uh, for um, you know a little over a month, um, yeah, a month and a couple of weeks, I guess, right, end of July, and uh, they've uh, figured out how to win twelve games. So that's not that's not good. <laughs> uh, so, Bill, um, uh, Hyam Bloom, the uh, chief. Baseball officer, correct? Is that? Okay, correct. I always want to call him the GM because that's what he is. But <laughs> Brian O'Halloran, <laughs> right? Is the GM, I guess. Yes. Yes. Uh, but uh, I, Bloom had some things to say, obviously, in the uh, in the wake of all these moves. And one of the things that uh, that he pointed out was that the Red Sox, are, you know, are really trying to win every year. And this this move really uh, speaks to that down the road. Uh, it's hard to say that, though. I think. Uh, with this year, and I don't know, uh, do you give Bloom a pass this year because of uh, uh, what what he's being asked or what his mandate is, or do you think that the Red Sox truly should be trying to win every year, and this year they clearly did not? Well, we've talked about this before. Uh, I, you know, you and I are in agreement on this. The Red Sox should be contending every year. They should sure. be trying to win every year. Uh, they have the resources to try and do that. Um, I, I have a. 
I have a philosophical difference, I, I would say. Um, you know, and, and I hope, I hope what's going on here is I hope that, that this is Bloom publicly selling uh, the notion that yeah. they were actually trying to win in 2020, as opposed to what he really thinks. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think objectively you can look at this team and say they were, they're really trying to win this year. I think when they started with a trading away of Mookie Betts and obviously David Price, uh, it's hard to make the case, but I'm sorry, go ahead. That's that's exactly the point, Bill. You you did not make this team better for 2020 by trading Mookie Betts. Yeah. Uh, and you did not make this team better when you knew that Chris Sale was not going to pitch by failing to add a starting pitcher. Uh, now, that would have taken you over the collective balance, uh, the competitive balance tax. Yep. And everybody knows that. Right. But the fact is, is you knew Chris Sale was not going to pitch probably from March on. Right. And you didn't add another starting pitcher. Now, you couldn't have known about Eduardo Rodriguez. So I give Bloom a pass for that sure. and the organization a pass right. for and, that. And no, we've talked about that. We can't, we can't certainly blame them Nobody could have known that that was going to happen. Right. But you knew that you weren't going to have Chris Sale. You knew, looking at this rotation, that you were going to be short. Yeah. And so, if for no other reason than the tax, which we'll get to next, <laughs> you did not add starting pitching. You, you did not go out and add someone who was going to be a key piece of your rotation. Right. Having already traded Mookie Betts and David Price, you can't honestly say that you put your best foot forward and you competed in 2020 like your life depended on it. And, and so not. when you say, we want to win championships every year and we want to put ourselves in yeah. position to Just win not championships this year. <laughs> every year, what's left unsaid is that it's obviously not this year. Right. And it might not be next year either. And, and so I think I have a, a difference of opinion, a difference of philosophy with Bloom there. Well, that's that's the thing I wanted to uh, talk about, Bill, what you touched on is next Next year, you know, uh, the the question now is, how quickly do the Red Sox get back into contention? You know, are, are these moves enough for them to uh, get get themselves back into the back to the point where they are actually in the hunt for uh, an American League East title next season? Now, I mean, I think one of the big wild cards is pitching. I mean, what's Chris Sale going to look like? Is he even going to be available? Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, we all hope and expect that he will be fine and yes. be back, hopefully. Yes. You know, um, uh, Nate Avaldi, uh, who has been good when he's been healthy, but, uh, you know, he's always kind of going on the IL for something. He's on the injured list now for the fifth time in five years. Right. And th- Every and that, season. And this is a calf IL. strain, which is, this is a, a different a, thing. A mild right calf strain. Right. The previous four stints had to do with his right elbow. But right. The fact remains, he's been on the IL each of the last five years, so you can't realistically count on him to make 30 starts. Right. Right. And so beyond that, I mean, do you have Martin Perez next year? You do. And so he's been, uh, you know, a serviceable, actually good pitcher this year. So maybe he's, you know, your number four guy or whatever. If he's at the bottom of your rotation, it's fine. fine. Yeah, right. And then, and then who? Uh, Darwin's and Hernandez. Who, who, who's the number five guy, you know? The opener. Uh, well, I, see, that's the thing. Bullpenning. I, I, I really hate for them to go into another season doing that. It really burned them this year. You know, and the other thing is, you know, what can you what can you expect out of Chris Sale? Uh, you know, a year removed from Tommy John, do you expect him to be available for a full season? So I really hope. <laughs> when, you know, I'm sure the Red Sox listen to this podcast religiously. Oh, so when they no so when they do, here, here's my here's my uh, here's my message. Make sure you go into the season with five starting pitchers. Okay, <laughs> don't don't start with four and then say we'll just figure it out. You know, go in with five because chances are you might 
not get, have those five to actually go the whole the whole season, and you may have to resort to the opener or you know uh, or uh, the bullpenning or wh- however you want to piece that last uh, starter together. But well, maybe Nick Pavetta if you okay, can get fine. him to the point where he can yeah, be a starter if, for you. Absolutely, if, if he if he shows the kind of stuff that you think, um, uh, and he's why not? I mean, he's he's got he's a big league pitcher, so. Uh, but whatever it is, let, let's hope they start with at least five uh, big league arms. Uh, but even that, Bill, you know, um, you don't have Mookie Betts anymore, obviously. You don't have Mitch Moreland at first, who was a, a, a key offensive piece. Mm-hmm. Um, does Martinez, uh, can he opt out after next season or this uh, this, this season? This season. Martinez so, can so, opt out. So now you, that's a little, you know, is he going to be in that lineup? That's a big, big loss if you don't have him. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you're hoping Devers uh, continues to be Devers. What about Ben Intendi? What's up with him? You know, he's still uh, he's still on the IL, right? And who knows? We might not see him again this year. Well, right. And and even if we do, he's really been str- unfortunately really been struggling at the plate for uh, mm-hmm. over a season now. Who's playing center field? Uh, yeah, is it Jackie Bradley yeah, Jr. Or is right. it somebody else? He's that, a free agent. That's right. So so look at in the last minute, ninety seconds, two minutes, whatever. That There's was. way look at how many questions? Way we have more already. question marks than answers for next for next year. So I can't imagine that next year. Now listen, you know maybe they're gonna have the greatest offseason in the history of Major League Baseball and and sign you know some some proven Major League talent and whatever. It's it's probably too early for us to sit and kiss off. 2021. Of course it is. But but you know, it's hard for me to believe that from these moves, from what we've seen so far that they are in fact going to be a legitimate contender next season, at least with what what we see now. We're we're going off uh the the famous Greg Brady exact words. I, I want to live my life by exact words. Uh you know, so that's that's what we're doing here. You know, so if Ian Bloom says we want to compete for championships every year, in 2020, you certainly didn't try to do that. In 2021, it looks like you've got a heck of a lot of question marks sure. to try and do that. Um, you've, that's a lot of gaps to bridge. Chris Sale, to, to start off with him, Chris Sale is not going to be ready for opening day. Yeah. Uh, if you just look at the timeline, based on his Tommy John surgery, he had it on March 31st, I want to say, which was his birthday, uh, oddly enough. Um, the, the rehab for that is usually 12 to 15 months, and, and normally you'd err on the backside of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 15 months is April, May, June. You're pushing him back toward the All-Star break at, at that point. Right. Uh, you get him into June, assuming we have a full season in, in 2021, right. which is no guarantee. Right, right. Um, assuming we play the full 162, he's not showing up until game 60, game 70, let's say. Um, so you're already you know, a third of the way or more through the year without what's supposed to be your race. Yeah. Uh, that's a big hit for your rotation, obviously. You hope that Eduardo Rodriguez is 100% by then, uh, and I think he will be. Uh, they're going to monitor him closely. He's obviously not going to pitch again this year. You want to <clears> get him started in an off-season program as soon as you can. Yep. Uh, that's probably November, December, somewhere in there. Try and get him back to, to something representative physically. Sure. Um, the back end of your rotation figures to be Ivaldi, Perez, Pavetta, some combination of that. Uh, that's why you made the trade and, and got Pavetta. Ideally, you can get him to a point where his confidence is such where he could take the ball in a major league rotation next year. Is that a championship rotation? 
I don't necessarily think no, it is. I, I, Your lineup is going to have some major holes in it if Martinez opts out. Um, you know, you're going to have at least one outfield position to fill, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Benintendi, as you said, he's completely regressed. His best season was 2018. Last year he was worse than that. This year he's worse than that. Um, you know, so some major, major questions on this roster. They do not appear to be primed to win next year. And so at that point, you've punted two seasons right. uh, of high and bloom. Right. And then you go into 2022, uh, a season where, you know, you're, you're going to be, you're going to continue to strip parts off and, and not necessarily develop parts behind them. It, it's just, it, it sets up a treadmill of questions that, that right. seems to be ever lengthening and ever running. And, and that's not necessarily what the Red Sox are supposed to be. It just seems unlikely that uh, that it, by 2021 that this team is in fact going to be able to contend. Now, uh, having said that, I was heartened to see that the players that we sort of talked about as being quote unquote untouchable were in fact not not dealt away. They still have Raphael Devers. They still have Xander Bogarts. Uh, they still have a Chris, Christian Vasquez, who uh, has, has expressed his desire to reti- uh, retire in Boston. Uh, so I, I certainly, you know, I don't want to undercut it here. They, they certainly do have some building blocks. They have some quality uh, pieces. But I don't know that they have enough. Uh, clearly, if if Martinez opts out, then th- that that's a big hit to that uh, to that lineup as well. So uh, we, we will see. <laughs> we'll see what the Red Sox look like in uh, you know in a few months when uh, they get ready for spring training uh, down in Florida in February. If that is in fact going to happen, right. who knows? <laughs> There's so much uncertainty. Right. Uh, so, Bill, uh, let's uh, pivot a little bit to what's been going on off the field. Um, one of the things that uh, we didn't talk about because we didn't meet uh, last week were, was the fact that uh, there were some games uh, that were not played uh, uh, across the uh, the pro sports landscape. And you know what a strange what a strange year. You know if if you if you had told me a few weeks ago that the Red Sox and uh, several other teams. Uh, would be foregoing or postponing games, uh, I would say, well, obviously it's COVID. There's, there's somebody tested positive. But right. it was beyond that. Uh, it was in response to the protests that we've seen in the wake of the uh, Jacob Blake shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, and uh, NBA obviously uh, uh, went on hiatus for a couple of days. Uh, and it, it sort of uh, had a reverberation across the sports world. And uh, the Red Sox were not uh, were not immune to that. They too uh, opted out, and uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. obviously was the lone uh, African American on the uh, on the Red Sox. Uh, let his uh, let his manager know that he was not going to play uh, uh, that night. I want to say was it Thursday night? Thursday night. And uh, as a show of solidarity, uh, most of the most of his um, teammates, but not all, opted. Uh, to also or decided not to play obviously that there was enough that they decided not to, to have a game some people wanted to play and uh so let's get into that a little bit bill I, you know it, what struck me uh and i thought it was great that they got behind uh jackie and, and showed support for a teammate what struck me though was um when they brought up uh three players to address the situation to the media they had xander borgart's I want to say Nathan Evaldi, Nathan Evaldi. and Kevin Pillar. 
And uh, Kevin Pillar made some statements that uh, I guess he regretted because the following day he issued a uh, Twitter video and said that he, uh, you know, he kind of misspoke and stuff. Uh, but it was kind of um, it was one of these uncomfortable moments when you're watching this. And Kevin Pillar, uh, I think, maybe said things that uh, went down a road he wasn't he wasn't really willing to go down or perhaps didn't think it through enough. Well, I mean, let's just be clear. <clears throat> We're dealing with conversations in America right now that that are uncomfortable. Um, and you're, you're very cognizant of the fact that if you say the wrong thing, it's going to be taken a certain way um, and you're going to be characterized a, a certain way because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's something that... I find myself struggling with uh, in my writing uh, in terms of trying to cover these issues, whether it has to do with the Red Sox or or more broadly. And I think that's entirely the point of the protests, of the discussions about social justice, uh, racial inequality in this country, is to sort of pull you into that uncomfortable space Mm -hmm. that people of color live in. Sure. Full time. It's very easy for those of us who are not uh, uh, African-American to sort of, uh, I don't want to say the word dismiss, but maybe feel like, well, this is not our fight, you know, so we're going to stay in our lane, so to speak. But you're right. This whole issue, the point is that it should be everyone's fight. The, you know, you and I generally, if, if we're going to go by um, prevailing thought surrounding all this, you and I as white men are generally free to live our lives without <coughs> much fear, without much obstruction, uh, you know, without too many obstacles to them. And, you know, if we listen to people of color and, and what they're saying and, um, you know, what they are protesting for, they obviously don't feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And, and so the point of the protests, the point of these discussions is to get everybody to that place where everyone feels free and everyone feels unobstructed and everyone feels like they have the same right to opportunity, to safety. Right. Um, and so baseball, I, I think... When you look at baseball over its history, it's probably one of the most conservative bastions of of American public life that that you will find. Baseball took until the 40s to integrate. Uh, You know, baseball fought kicking and screaming against Jackie Robinson, um, whose day was celebrated uh, last Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, whose life story has gained... um, you know, more traction the last couple of days with the passing of Chadwick Boseman, sure. who, who portrayed yep. Jackie Robinson in, in 42, which was a tremendous movie. Sure. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, his performance was, was wonderful in, in that film. Um, I, I just think that, you know, baseball hasn't always leaned in and, and embraced, you know, maybe sort of societal change. It, it's, it's very much a sport where... You know, if you're sort of a, a nail that stands a little too high, you get hammered down. And, and we had you know discussions on previous podcasts about um, you know trash talking in the game and, and flamboyance in the game, right. and, and you know the sort of the the unwritten rules of the game, and, and a lot of the action taken against folks who break the unwritten rules of the game, and they just happen to be players of color. Sure. And so you could certainly look and say that there could be some racial undertones in, in something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, Fernando Tatis is a Latin player. 
Are, are you, you know, that's part of his culture is to swing 3-0 and to celebrate home runs and, mm-hmm. you know, to be bubbly and, and emotional and, and, you know, sort of show that on the field. And, and generally that's not necessarily embraced in, in baseball. Um, but specific to last week, uh, you know, you had protests in, in the wake of the Jacob Blake shooting in, in Wisconsin. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks decided that they were not going to play an NBA playoff game. Mm-hmm. Um, the league stood in solidarity with them, and, and ultimately, you got to a point where uh, the future of the NBA playoffs w- was in question. Um, yeah, you know, the the league and the players had a, a serious meeting in the bubble in Orlando, a, a series of them, and, and it looked like uh, the playoffs were, were going to be no more. Um, you know, ultimately, they decided that that they were going to continue to play, mm-hmm. that they were going to continue to use the platform that they have right now to advance the cause that are important to them. Um, And those protests bled over into other sports, whether it was the WNBA, um, you know, Major League Baseball, MLS, you you had... NHL. The NHL, you you had multiple teams across multiple leagues Mm -hmm. deciding that they weren't going to play. Now, the the first of these happened on Wednesday in baseball. The Red Sox had an early first pitch in Buffalo against Toronto. Um, when it came out that the Brewers and the Reds weren't going to play, the Red Sox were just about to take the field. Yeah. So they hadn't necessarily had time to have a full-team discussion, a full-team right. meeting the, about the what The timing what was tricky. Do. It was just sort of breaking, and they were about to take the field, and I don't think there was time for them to really kind of process what was going on. The, f- the following night, what happens is is you, you've seen games not be played on the Wednesday. You've seen games earlier in the day on Thursday that you find out you know teams have said we're not going to play. Right. And so the Red Sox obviously have a team meeting and they have a discussion and, and they decide that they're not going to play to support Jackie Bradley Jr., who told Ron Renneke that he wasn't going to be in the lineup that night. He wasn't going to be available. Mm. The decision to, to not play was not unanimous uh, among the Red Sox. The decision to support Bradley was unanimous. But right. the decision to not play right. was not unanimous. And and that gets out when Red Sox players and, and Ron Ranicki say, you know, after the postponement, well, we weren't unanimous. We, you know, we some guys wanted to play and some other guys didn't. And at that point, that's probably something that's better left behind the scenes. Mm. So they got that wrong. Uh, and then Kevin Pillar, you know, says that it was a difficult decision to make. And, you you know, and I'm paraphrasing at this point. Um, he says we shouldn't necessarily be looking to uplift one group over another. Mm. And and at that point, Kevin Pillar veers into the right wing pundit talking point about all lives matter. And Bill, I I think the simplest way that I could apply the all lives matter discussion in real terms is: you have two daughters. If one of them needs help with her math homework and you decide you're going to take some time and you're going to help that daughter with her math homework it doesn't mean you love your other daughter any less it doesn't mean that you care about her any less it means that one of your daughters at that time needed help more than the other and so you dedicated your time and your attention to that one daughter and so when protesters take the streets and speak about Black Lives Matter and Major League Baseball has put its support behind Black Lives Matter. That's the point. And mm-hmm. so when, when Kevin Pillar sort of veers into that all lives matter territory, it received a backlash. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it was 
you know, at, at, at its worst, it was malicious. I, 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 don't, I don't think his intent was bad. He was certainly tone deaf. Uh, he released an apology over the weekend, um, you know, and, and said that he did a terrible job addressing it at the first time. Uh, he said, of course, Black Lives Matter to me. Um, you know, things didn't come out the way I intended. Uh, and, and so I think what was reflected there was, you know, just how difficult some of these conversations are, just how easy it is to, to make mistakes in this, and, and just how far we have to go in, in terms of getting to a place where everyone is going to be on the same page and, and feel the same way about these issues. You know, Bill, uh, and I, I try not to get too political when we talk about stuff like this, because ultimately this is a baseball uh, podcast about the Red Sox. But, you know, to me, uh, when people say all lives matter, it's just a cop out. You know, clearly everyone's life matters. Clearly everyone's life has uh, uh, has importance. But uh, I, I think, unfortunately, when people say all lives matter, it's because they refuse to believe or acknowledge that there are particular problems with particular people's lives. And so it's easy to just wallpaper that over and say, well, all, li- all lives matter. Well, you know, in, in this particular case, there are certain problems that should be addressed. So, you know, uh, uh, and I think uh, to uh, to his credit, Pilar the next day came out and 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 recorded a Twitter video and basically uh, sort of did a mea culpa. Now, we can certainly sit here and say, well, he was forced to do that. Somebody got to him, blah, blah, blah. But he still did it. You know, so I, I do I do uh, give him kudos for, for maybe recognizing that the message that he was tr- sending the previous day was probably not the message that he really wanted to send. At least I don't think. Sure. Uh, so uh, at the very least, I think, uh, you know, he does get, uh, you know, he, he does get credit for for uh, recognizing that. Um, you know, it's funny how the fates uh, line things up. Uh, Jackie Robinson Day, as you mentioned, is usually earlier in the season. Uh, but it coincides with his debut in April. In April. Uh, right. But because of, you know, obviously the strange season that we're in with COVID and, and everything, that uh, Jackie Robinson Day ended up being uh, f- Friday. Uh, and boy, what timing! Right. Uh, you know, it, it really was amazing that this this was really on the heels of the of the of the uh, uh, the protests and the uh, the uh, the cancellation of games. And um, it's the anniversary of Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream" that's speech, right. as well. As well, that's right. And then that was pointed out. Uh, but uh, you know. I've gotten a couple of emails and at least one phone call uh, from a few people who have said, "Well, it's nice that they're that that all these professional athletes can uh, can take a day off and not worry about uh, being paid." So, uh, so a couple of things because <laughs> that kind of got to me too. Sure. So, uh, first of all. Uh, Professional athletes are not living in the world that we are living in financially. Of course not. Okay, so so it's it's and it's not just professional athletes. It's movie stars and big time entertainers and, and whatever. So you know, I, so for, for me, that's that's apples to oranges. But the other thing is, you know, a lot of us actually do have the ability to take a day off from work and still get paid. Sure. Those of us who work for the Providence Journal are fortunate enough not to only have vacation time, but we have personal days. We get two or three a year, which we can take for whatever reason. 
we need a mental health day. We need to help move our daughters to college. Whatever the, 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 the case is, you want to join a protest and you don't want to work that night. So, you know, I don't think it's so unheard of that people have the ability to not work and get paid. Uh, so, you know, I kind of rejected that argument. I understand not everybody has that. But a lot of us uh, in the working world have that opportunity. Sure. So, uh, you know, I'm not so sure that it's that different. Uh, but, uh, and my last point here before I get off my little soapbox. That's okay. Is that I'm glad the NBA did what it did. I think they took a pause. They took a beat. They sort of, uh, um, they made a statement. They wanted to call attention to what they perceived to be. Uh, an issue and a problem in this country, uh, and then they and then they got back to, to playing basketball. And I think that you know, um, uh, I, I think that the backlash against that would have been far greater if they just all went home. But but I think the fact that they they made it a point to call a timeout, so to speak, and and uh, address the problem, and then uh, get on with uh, you know. The reason they're there and the and and uh, providing some kind of um, entertainment uh, for fans. I, I just I thought that that was the right call. That that was my feeling. You know, for them to just say, "Well, that's it. We're going to scrap the season." I I think that would have been the wrong look. I, I think it. LeBron James has the platform that he does because he's a great basketball player. Um, how he chooses to use that can make him a great person. Yep. And, and I think that's sort of the next phase that, that you see some athletes take. And you know, LeBron, obviously, with, with his efforts in the community in Ohio, with his school, uh, with the amount of kids that he's put into college and, and is paying yeah, tuition it, for. It's remarkable, really. Um, and, and he does certainly deserve a lot of credit for that. You know, and, and, and there are certainly athletes like him who, who are doing things in the community that, that are bettering lives, young lives, and, and I think um, they're given an opportunity to do that because of their athletic talents, but, it, but it's what they do with that platform that, that I think makes them people of substance, and, and so I think you know, NBA players leaving the bubble, choosing not to continue with the playoffs, I, I think would have taken away the public spotlight that they are in. Yep. Um, I would say... Bill, the, the the argument that folks make about athletes and, and entertainers and anyone else of financial means um, when they decide to, quote, unquote, take a day off so they can protest. Right. LeBron James, whatever his net worth is, has that stopped anyone from calling him the N-word? No. Using that word right. that on change. social media right. to describe right. him or anything else? No. Not at all. Right. LeBron James could be worth $5 billion or $0.05. Cents. Yeah. And you would still find a way. There would still be people in this country and elsewhere would still find a way to use the N-word to describe yeah, LeBron James. And, and so when you make the argument that LeBron James is an athlete and he lives in Brentwood and he has this dream life and whatever else, what does he have to be upset about? Mm-hmm. What does he have to protest? His, his life is great. Yeah. yeah. You see his life one way. He's living it every day. He understands, even with all the advantages that, that you see him having from the outside, he understands what it's like to be him still. Right. right. He lives in his skin. You don't. I don't. Somebody on Fox News doesn't. When Laura Ingraham says, shut up and dribble, LeBron, 
<laughs> she has no idea what it's like to be LeBron James right. or an NBA player on a daily basis. And so that argument as well, you're rich, you're famous, what, what sort of strife do you face? That's a bunch of nonsense as well. You know, as a practical matter, too, you know, if this was a regular season and the NBA decided to call off some games, you know, that would have a different effect on fans, particularly fans who had tickets to those games. But, you know, this year, it's almost like, well, okay, how does this really affect you? I mean, so they're going to show the game on a different day on TV, right? We're not, we're not, it's not like you have to get a refund for your tickets or anything like that. So I honestly think that it, it was, it had the least sort of practical impact on people in terms of just upheaval, uh, uh, you know, uh, disrupting their lives sure. so to speak you know so okay so we're going to watch the game on Saturday instead of Thursday sure. or whatever because that's that's there are no fans this year that's right. that's the, at the bottom line so you know uh, I, I really um, you know I, I, I think the NBA did the right thing I think they they, they called the timeout they they uh, said what they had to say they called attention to a particular problem that they perceived needs to be uh, certainly addressed uh, and acknowledged, which I agree with. It, it certainly needs to be acknowledged and addressed. Uh, and then they got back to to the business of, of basketball and and uh, the rest of the sports world. Yep, did baseball well. did the same. Yep. Um, and unfortunately, the, the NHL did, and then the Bruins left. <laughs> well, that's yeah. In a in a heart wrenching fashion, if you were up uh, late watching that game uh, last night. But right. Uh, so, Bill. Um, as we look ahead here to what is left of the baseball season for the for the Boston Red Sox, uh, they are uh, they are welcoming. Uh, well, they they've they've already welcomed the Atlanta Braves this week. Uh, then they they've got the Blue Jays. They're heading out to Philly, Tampa Bay, Miami. Then they've got the Yankees coming in, and you know it's going to be weird watching the Red Sox for the rest of the season because you know they've essentially given up. Right. It, it's odd, you know, watching the Red Sox play meaningless games in September. Yeah, uh, you know, last absolutely. year, you know, last year we had to do that a little bit, um, you know, but last year you, they certainly did so with more identifiable players, I, I think you would say. Sure. You know, this this <laughs> sure. year, this year, you're going to have a lot of guys on that field who you wouldn't necessarily know previously. Um, and a lot of guys on that field who are probably not going to be a part of this team in 2021, 2022. Um, you know, so it, it really does sort of take on, it's going to take on maybe that sort of Fort Myers spring training feel where you're going to put guys out there and, and see if they can compete at this level right. and, and try to figure out if they have a role on this team going forward. Um, you know, I think they've done that already with, with guys like Dahlbeck and, and Kyle Hart, who they called up, um, you know, uh, last night, they, they called up three more players. Uh, we saw one of them, Robinson Lair, who's a, a minor league right-hander, reliever. Uh, you know, you figure out whether or not he can be a part of this bullpen going forward. Um, it's, it's essentially going to be a lot of spare parts and, and a lot of back-end-of-the-roster guys. Um, you know, not necessarily guys who, who are going to be stars of the next great Red Sox team. Um, you know, and I, I think that's... As, as we said at the top of this, this is sort of the unfamiliar side of, of baseball, the unfamiliar side of the trade deadline. And the Red Sox are squarely on it right, right now. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, and you make a good point. You're going to be looking at players that probably won't be there for very long or if at all uh, next season. Uh, so we will see. We'll see if the uh, the great experiment here with turning over the roster and rebuilding the team uh, starts to pay dividends uh, in, the, in the short term versus the long term. 
Uh, I'm also interested to, to know what's going to happen with the, uh, you know, these other sports that would typically get rolling in the fall, uh, the NHL and the NBA. Are they just going to start up like they normally do, even though they're going to sort of be just coming off playoffs? It's going to be a weird kind of next few uh, next few uh uh, months. Uh, obviously, we're not going to have college football for the most part. We, we probably still have uh, some of the some of the uh, top uh, conferences, but uh, not uh, nearly as many games as as normal. So it's it's going to be an odd fall in, in the sports world. I think. Yeah. Uh, so, Bill, we will uh, get together uh, once more, at least once more, uh, before we uh, wrap it up uh, f- finally uh, for the 2020 season. Uh, and maybe we can start looking ahead at what uh, else is coming down the pipe in terms of what you're going to be doing uh, in in uh, in October and November and December. I, I, uh, I'm looking into my, crystal, my sports editor, Crystal Ball, and I see a few trips to Gillette Stadium in, in your future, but uh, not that many. Uh, I'm wondering what's going to happen with the PC and URI basketball. Uh, so we will certainly keep an eye on that as, as the, uh, the leaves turn. I, I'm going to say this. Um, in, in terms of college basketball, which, which I could probably speak on a little better because I do know it well, um, you will see an NCAA tournament this year. You will see college basketball played in, in some form this year. There might not be fans. It mm-hmm. might not start on time. Um, but it is going to happen for one simple reason, money. Yeah, they took a bath last year by not having the uh, the March Madness tournament, and uh, you're, you're probably right. They probably can't afford to give up that uh, those millions and millions of dollars again. Can't do it. They can't lose it two years in a row. You you would have some of these programs go completely out of business. Right. Um, you know, the, the sad truth is that the NCAA is built on a phony amateurism model that is making a lot of people a lot of money, whether it's the coaches, the schools, the NCAA itself. Mm. Certainly not the players. Not at that point, no. Um, but they're going to have to play the NCAA tournament. And, and there is a way to do it. We've seen the NBA be successful with a bubble. We've seen the NHL be successful with a bubble. Yep. What it's going to require is the NCAA tearing up the piece of its rule book that says that these athletes are amateurs and that they can't be compensated in a way that normal students on a campus can be compensated. Mm. And that includes separate lodging, separate benefits, whatever it may be. If you have to check these guys into a hotel during the regular season and not have them live in dorms and have them uh, set up with private chefs and private workouts and whatever else, private dining halls, it's just going to have to happen. You, you go to a big-time school like Kentucky or Kansas or somebody like that, and they have the basketball dorm, but the way they get around the NCAA rules is they have five or six random students live in that basketball dorm. Right, so, so they, they could can, say, hey, look, that's... They uh, could it's say it's n- university it's, it's housing. Not, it's not just the basketball team. It's not just for the basketball right, team. Right. Um, you know, so I, I think you're going to see some flouting of, of the NCAA rule book just to try and get these guys on the court. Uh, I, I think it's certainly going to happen. I, I would guess that... You know, they're going to play at least some non-conference games, and, and then they'll get into conference schedules after the first of the year. You, you could see the NCAA tournament drag into April or, or into May even, mm-hmm. uh, but I certainly think it's going to be played. I certainly think we're going to have college basketball, and I think it's going to be out there for the same reason that we see Major League Baseball continuing on, yeah. for the money. 
yeah. to try to salvage something, to try to salvage anything that, that they can from what is already going to be a massive financial loss. Well, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the sports world is going to look like here uh, from the fall on. As far as we can tell, the NFL is going to go forward. Uh, obviously, no fans in the stadiums, at least uh, early in the season. Uh, Gillette Stadium won't have any fans in September. Who knows if that's going to continue throughout the rest of the season. But uh, it will be a very unique uh, sports calendar uh, this fall uh, as we are uh, marching toward the both NBA, NHL uh, championships, and then uh, the NFL will get rolling, and uh, we will see what happens with college football and college basketball. So lots to keep an eye on. Bill, we will uh, resume our weekly discussions at some point next week when our schedules uh, line up once more. And I know you have a uh, uh, you have to get yourself over to Fenway Park, so. Uh, So good luck, and we'll talk to you then. Thanks, Bill.